Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negeb and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he, when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But there is not arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord who knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders which the Lord had sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants, and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate uh, your help, Steve-O. Uh, my name's Dave, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. I'm super excited to, uh, to bring the word to you this morning. And i got to confess that what we're going to be talking about today is something that I spend all kinds of time in my role here at Grace doing. And I'm super passionate and super excited about it. And so I feel like I'm trying to hold back from just coming to the edge of the stage and opening my mouth and just... Boom, vomiting all kinds of stuff on you. And so I've asked the Lord to help me with that, but uh, I'm excited to be here today. For those of you that are, that are new with us, we've been covering, uh, we've been walking through a sermon series called The Living Stones. And in this sermon series, we've been looking at how God has been expanding his kingdom using ordinary people like you and I. And I love that passage where it comes from. It comes from 1 Peter 2, where we're told that Jesus is the living stone. And while he was rejected by humans, that he was chosen by God, that he was chosen and that he was precious. And that when we're in him, we are chosen and we are precious. And I want you to hang on to those two words. Because we're going to talk about them again here in a few minutes. Let that resonate in your heart. That if you're in Christ, he has chosen you. To be a living stone, and you are precious to him, and he's using you in your life, working in you, through you, and around you, to help expand his kingdom. The last couple weeks, we've been talking about Moses, and our message today takes us to Mount Nebo. And there is so much in this particular passage that we read. It's one of the things I love about Scripture. There's so many different things you can take from, from all different kinds of passages. And uh, one of the things that I see here, 
I wasn't going to touch on it, but I want to just briefly. I don't want to rabbit trail it, but I am just astounded that God and Moses had such a relationship that God had talked to Moses about mentoring and raising up Joshua. And that's what he did. And God also told Moses, and had such a relationship with him, that he told Moses that, Moses, your time is coming, and you're going to pass away. And so he calls Moses up to Mount Nebo. And on Mount Nebo, we see something amazing. We find out that Moses passes away, yet his eyes were not dimmed and he was full of vigor. Did that stick out to any of you? What's going on with that? What's going on with that is God called him home to be with him. And the reason why he calls him to Mount Nebo is because he wants to give Moses an opportunity to look over all of the promised land. You see, going back a little bit, Moses disobeyed God and took credit for something he shouldn't have taken credit for and and was angry with the people. And with that, God told him the consequence is he would not be able to lead the Israelites into the promised land. But here at the end of his life, God blesses him and he gives him the opportunity to look into the promised land. And so Moses goes up to Mount Nebo. He knows he's going to go be with the Lord. He knows his days are done. And he gets to just stand and look out over all that God had promised. And that, his, that God had had him lead the Israelites up to. And as he's standing over the promised land, he knows he's not going to get to walk in. But there's something amazingly ironic about what's going on. Because as he's looking at all of the land that the Israelites are about to take... He's about to take his very last breath to enter into the promised land. To enter into heaven. And the faithfulness and the majesty of God in that moment is unbelievable to me. But where I want to go with this is that, man, Moses is dying, but the Israelites are still not in the promised land yet. They're at a crucial point in time in their history as a nation. Who's going to take over for Moses as Moses dies? Well, God in his sovereignty has got that figured out. It's Joshua. And we're told in Deuteronomy 34 that Moses is handing off leadership to Joshua and that Joshua was full of wisdom. And it says Joshua was full of wisdom Because Moses laid his hands on him. And we're going to go later on in this sermon, we're going to talk about what that looked like. Okay? But Joshua was full of wisdom because Moses laid his hand on him. So what was important about that? What was important about that was God had chosen Joshua. And God had commissioned Joshua. And God had filled Joshua with that wisdom. To take what Moses had started and to be God's next instrument and to be the leader that God needed in that moment to take the Israelites into the promised land. And so today, what I want to talk to us about 
is that God chooses leaders and that God commissions leaders. Just like he did with Moses. God commissioned an ordinary man named Moses who argued with God about all the reasons why he couldn't be God's leader. He calls Moses, he chooses him, he commissions him. In Moses' leadership, Moses in turn sees Joshua, asks Joshua to, to, to follow, to become his assistant, and Joshua is raised up to be a leader. Today we're looking at, as the lesson on the top of Mount Nebo is, God chooses leaders and God commissions leaders. What's that got to do with you and I today? Well, like that moment on Mount Nebo where the Israelites weren't quite home yet. And they were in a crucial point in time in their history as a nation. We're in a crucial point in time in the history in the culture of our world today, aren't we? And we're not quite home yet. And the kingdom of God still needs to be expanded. And God still has his works and his purposes to be done. Because if he didn't, we wouldn't be here. And God needs leaders. And God chooses leaders. And the leaders that he chooses are those that he calls into relationship with him. If you're here today and you're a believer, you put your faith and trust in Christ, you have been chosen and commissioned to be a leader. Now I want to stop right here, because I know that there's many of us in this room, that when you hear me talk about this message is going to be about leaders. Your temptation is to check out, pull out the phone, and do whatever you will do. Because in your mind and in your heart, you don't think you're a leader. You don't think you're a leader. Why is that? I think it's for two reasons. I think, number one, we don't think we're leaders because we look at who we are. And we compare ourselves to other people. And we compare ourselves to other leaders. And we hear the identity statements that we've given ourselves and that we feel like other people have given us. And so we think that because of who we are, that somehow we're not leaders. Let me give you an example. Some of you are here today, and you don't think you're a leader because you're too young. You don't think you're a leader because you're too young. Where's the students and the kids in this room? If you're under the age of 18, I want you to stand up right now. Right where you're at. If you're under the age of 18, I want you to stand up. And yes, you can tell mom and dad later, that was awkward. <laughs> I want you to understand something. Whether or not your leader has nothing to do with your age. And it has everything to do with if you have trusted Christ. Because if you trust Christ and you're walking with him, you are going to be a leader. And I'm going to explain why in the rest of this message. But I want each and every one of you to look at me and I want you to understand something. God's chosen you. 
And he's commissioned you to be leaders. And you are not too young. You are not the church of tomorrow. It's not your role to sit on the seats and not say anything. This is not a church where children should be seen and not heard. This is a church where we want to empower our kids to walk with Jesus and to know him and to be bold in their identity for him. And to hold their head high and to go out in whatever sphere of influence they're in, their school, their extracurricular activities, and to know who you are in Jesus. And to know that you're loved and to know that everything that you need, you're given in your relationship with Jesus. You're not the church of tomorrow. You're the church of today. And the rest of us adults need you. You see it. Some of you in here think you're too old. Oh, no, Dave is not going to make me stand up. you got to be kidding me. And those of you that are too old come from two different places. I've already done the leader thing. I'm ready to put my life on coast. Or, I'm too old. What do I have to give? I, my, my voice is frail. I can't speak. My body's frail. I can't get down and play with the kid. I can't. There's so many things that when we get older, we're like, I can't do. Now, I'm 50-something. <laughs> and my mind is still thinking I'm 16 years old. And my body's telling me, oh, you're way closer to 90 than you are to 16. So I get it that when we're uh, wrestling with being a leader and we think we're too old, that we have nothing to give. Older folks, I want you to stand up. If you're older, if you're over 50, stand up. I know, just play along with me. You have been outed, okay? I know we all look like we're 40, but you have been outed. All right. I want you to understand something. A lot of you have been walking with Jesus for a very long time. And you may not walk as fast as you did before. You may not speak as fast as you did before. But you are still leaders. And the church needs you. The young folks need that wisdom, that experience. They've got the zeal and the energy and the, the moxie and all that they need, but they lack wisdom because of the experiences. You guys have that. God is not done with you. If you're still here and you're in this room and you're living and breathing, obviously God's still plan, got a plan for you. And that plan is for you to be a leader and to use your influence, whatever that looks like, for the glory of God. So those of you that are older, thank you. Thank you for being here, but I beg you, don't check out. Don't check out on what God wants to do with you. Don't check out because you've already done all of that and you're a little bit tired. Maybe what it is is you've just kind of forgotten who you are and you need to be reminded of the power and the strength that you have in Jesus. Some of the most powerful leaders in our church are leaders who all they do is pray for us. 
You guys can be seated, by the way. Let's give these guys a hand. Some of the most powerful leaders in our church are leaders who are praying for you and I by name all the time. And they, I've heard them say to me, I can't do a lot, but I can sure pray. And I tell them, if you're praying, holy cow, things are going to happen. Because God invokes the prayers and he inhabits the prayers and the praises of his people. And God is using you. Some of you are here and you're like, I, I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm anxious. I'm too introverted to be a leader. I wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to do. And some of us listen to that long enough that then it bleeds over into we forget who we are in Jesus. And when we forget who we are in Jesus, we start playing around in mud puddles. And we start dabbling with sin. We allow habitual sin to come in and, and, and drag us down and get us discouraged. And it's because we've forgotten who we are. It's because we've forgotten who we're indwelt by. And so if you're here today, you're a leader. So don't check out on this sermon. Stick with me. And I will show you in the next few minutes. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you. I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that in your sight we are precious and that we are chosen. And God, you have chosen us to, uh, to be leaders. You have chosen us, uh, Lord, to carry your message and your mission as long as we're still living and breathing so that others could come to know you and so that your kingdom could be expanded. God, I pray that you would bless me today as, as I teach, that I would teach with your words and with your power and with your courage. And pray these things in your name. Amen. So when you're thinking about and arguing with me in your head about, well, Dave, I don't know if I really am a leader. Let's define leadership. Okay, when I say you're a leader, I look at leadership this way. Leadership is influence. Okay, leadership is influence. I read a statistic once that said the most introverted person in their lifetime will impact 10,000 people. Now, I know a lot of you in here, and I know some of you who claim to be introverted, and you probably are, but you're not the most introverted person. So the most introverted person, if they're impacting 10,000 people in their lifetime, how can that be? It's because of their actions and because of their words, and it's because of their influence. So if we're to break leadership down, what I'm talking about is influence. Okay, if I want to put that in the context of biblical leadership, I want to look at that and I want to say biblical leadership is serving others from a place of selflessness and sacrifice that points people to a relationship with Christ. Let me say that again. Biblical leadership is serving others from a place of selflessness and sacrifice that points people to a relationship with Christ. That's what I mean when I say that we're leaders.
That's what I'm talking about. You know, what we need to talk about is scope. Okay? We've defined leaders, and we're all, we're all leaders, and we're all called to use our influence in a way that's, that's sacrificial and a way that is serving so that others can come to know him. But let's be honest. Not everyone in this room is going to be called to be a Moses. Not everybody in this room is going to be commissioned to be a Joshua. Not everybody in this room is going to be called to, to be a pastor, to, to use their whole career to be a full-time, be full-time in ministry as a pastor or ministry staff. Not everybody's going to do that. And that's totally okay. God didn't raise up everybody to do the exact same things. But God has given you a scope and a sphere of influence. And I'm telling you that in that scope and that sphere of influence, you're a leader if you know Jesus and you're walking with him. And he wants you to use that scope and that sequence, that, that sphere. Okay? So... Take a deep breath, okay? God doesn't expect you to be Moses or Joshua. God doesn't expect you to, to talk like Brooks. As I'm talking about this, in my life, this was one of the reasons why I didn't want to be a pastor. Okay? Back when I was younger, I, uh, I didn't get this whole concept of, of leadership and influence and Somebody would ask me, well, Dave, what do you want to do with your life? I don't know, but the one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to be a pastor. Now, don't read that and say, wow, that's what Dave said. I'm saying the same thing Dave said. Now he's a pastor. Does that mean God's going to make me a pastor? No. But he might call some of you to be. And you should be open to that. But he is calling all of us to use our leadership influence for his glory in the areas that we're called to, at the school lunch table, in the cubicle where you work, with your next-door neighbor. God has chosen us and commissioned us for that. So let's uh, look at some words from, from Paul here. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29. This brings a lot of hope to me, and I'm sure it's going to bring a lot of hope to you. It says this, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God did what? God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things so that no one would boast before him. This brings me hope because God chose me. Because I feel lowly, I feel weak. I wasn't born of noble birth. And Paul wants us to know that God chooses us specifically for his glory and so that he gets the glory. For his glory and so he gets the glory. You being a leader... And I want you to catch this. You being a leader has very little to do with you and everything to do with Christ who indwells you. So how did this start for Joshua? So for Joshua, it started as a young man. 
we can look at scripture and put the timelines together and we can come and realize that Joshua was with Moses in Egypt while they were still in captivity. And as Moses, God led Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt into, into towards the promised land, Joshua was in that, in that group. Joshua saw those things that were going on. He saw God bring the plagues. He grew up in a home where they were teaching him to love and fear God. He saw them pulling away from Egypt and heading to a promised land. Joshua was at the Red Sea with Moses, where they were pinned between the sea and the Egyptian army coming. And like all the rest of them, Joshua was probably, what the heck's going to happen now? We're, we're dead. Only to see God do a miracle and part the Red Sea. Joshua was there for that. Okay, we're told somewhere along the line that Joshua becomes Moses' assistant. And that Moses is mentoring Joshua and that Joshua never leaves his side. We're also told one of the first times we see Joshua's name pop up, we're told that Moses chose Joshua to go out and lead a battle against the Amalekites and to take out Amalek. So while Joshua was on the battlefield, Moses was up higher on a cliff. And this is a story where as long as Moses kept his arms raised, the Israelite army won the battle. And when Moses' arms got tired, they would start to lose. Well, who was the one commanding that army while Moses was doing this? It was Joshua. But I want you to understand something. While Joshua was doing that, Moses was still kind of overseeing and Moses was still giving ultimate leadership to that. And Moses had people helping him hold his arms up. And we see how God used the whole thing. Okay? So for, Josh, for Joshua, it started out as seeing God do things and watching Moses lead. But here we get to the battle with the Amalekites. And now Joshua gets to do some kind of leading with Moses overseeing. So for Joshua, what it started out with was being chosen to follow. Come follow, come watch, come and see. We also see that, that Joshua was the one who went up with Moses to receive the Ten Commandments. He couldn't go all the way up with, with Moses to speak face to face with God. But he was right on the edge. Nobody else was. It was Joshua that came down that mountain with Moses when they heard the Israelites worshiping the golden calf. And Joshua said, wow, it sounds like something's crazy going on in the camp. Joshua was there for that. We're told that when, when Moses goes down to the tent of the meeting and they're worshiping there, and people are coming to see Moses, that Joshua is in the tent of the meeting as well, and that Joshua doesn't leave the tent of the meeting. What is he doing there? He's worshiping God, and he's being empowered and equipped for what's coming. And so we're very much like Joshua. When Jesus, when God calls us, when he chooses us, he chooses us to come and follow. He chooses us to come and follow to put our faith and trust in him. And simultaneously then, he chooses us to be leaders. But I want to come back to being chosen to follow. 
the beautiful thing about the gospel is, is that before I even knew God or loved God, God knew me and he loved me. And he knows you and he loves you. And God pursues you and, and loves you and is pursuing you to choose you to have a relationship with him. And when we hear about the gospel, we're so thankful for the fact of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And that we're saved, right? That Jesus has taken our sins. Jesus has paid the penalty of our sins. We've been put back in right standing with God and that we're saved. And we celebrate that all the time. But there's a portion of that that we don't think about often that really gets even down to the heart of why the gospel is such great news. Yes, we are saved, but part of, part of, of being chosen by God, part of putting our faith and trust in God is that he wants to have intimate relationship with us here and now. Yes, he saved us, but Christ joined us in a union with the Almighty God. We are, we are one with the Lord. We are indwelt in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. There's a oneness there. When scriptures talk about that, the examples that were given, you know, you know, Paul talks about the fact that Jesus, you know, that, that our union with Christ is like a body. Jesus is the head and we're the body. Okay, we're told that it's like a marriage. Okay, Jesus is the groom, the church is the bride. We're told that in, in Scripture that marriage um, is like the vine, or that, that union with Christ is like the vine and the branches. The vine and the branches are so intertwined and interwoven. Jesus becomes our sin and takes our sin. And he gives us his righteousness. And he gives us his presence. And he gives us his favor. And he gives us his mercy. And he gives us his grace. So when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, yes, I am so excited and, 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 and thrilled that we're saved. But I want you to understand you're saved for relationship. You're saved so that you and your creator and your savior can have an intimate relationship right now. And that that's God's intention is to dwell with you and to dwell within you. And so when God chooses us, he chooses us to follow and he chooses us to have a union with him. In that he also chooses us though to be leaders. And we start to see what this looks like in, in Joshua's life. Later on, Moses chooses Joshua and 11 other spies to go into Canaan. You guys remember that story? They're to go into Canaan and to spy out the land to see the land that God promised them. Moses tells, or God tells Moses, send them out. They go out, and the hope is they're going to come back and say, man, what a wonderful land it is. And they did. But 10 out of the 12 said, oh, no, we can't do that. There's giants in the land. There's obstacles. We're, we're toast. We're going to die. Okay? But prior to them heading out into Canaan, which was a mission that Joshua was going to lead on his lead, Moses does something interesting. Moses changes Joshua's name. Now, names in the Bible... If you haven't gotten this, you should. Names in the Bible are, are super, super important. 
Names in the Bible represent your identity. Names in the Bible represent your destiny. Names in the Bible represent God's purpose for you. Negative example, in the book of Ruth, okay, Naomi has two kids. Their name is Malon and Kilion. Do you know what those names actually mean? Sick and dying. How would you like to have Malon and Kilion as your name? But when you understand what happens, you understand that they die early because of their disobedience with God. But, the, but a, a positive example of this is Abraham. Abram goes from Abram to Abraham. Joshua was known as Hosea. Hosea means salvation. In that moment before Moses sends Joshua into, the, into Canaan to spy, he changes his name from Hosea to Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. See the difference? Hosea, salvation. Joshua, Yahweh is salvation. And then he sends the spies out. What's the significance of that? That from here on out, Joshua's built as a leader because Yahweh is going to go with him. Yahweh is salvation. God is going to empower him, use him to be his leader. Names mean something. Okay? And guess what? God has given us new names as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5, 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? What? A new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, um, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. When God calls you to himself and you put your faith and trust in him, all things become new. Yesterday at the men's breakfast, Matt Goodale gave a testimony about how for him... He finally surrendered one night in his bed to God, and he woke up the next morning, and he knew everything had changed. The things that he loved, he hated. He wanted to pursue God. He wanted to go to church. He wanted to get his life together. That happened because God changed him. When God comes into us, he changes us. He gives us a new name. No longer are we called addict. No longer are we called liar. No longer are we called deceiver. No longer are we called weak. No, no longer are we called unloved. We are called new creations. We're called precious. We're called chosen. We're called ambassadors of Christ. We're called ministers of reconciliation. You're called child of God and his friend child of God and his friend. Look at this passage. Just like things changed with Joshua, things changed with us. From this passage, we can gather, we've been given a new heart. We've been reconciled to God. We're given a new message, which is to be ambassadors of Christ. An ambassador is a leader. 
But what does an ambassador do as he leads? Everywhere that ambassador goes, he is proclaiming what his sovereign is wanting to have proclaimed. If I go as an ambassador of the United States to Haiti, what am I doing? I'm being a representative of the United States, of its will, of its goodwill, those kinds of things. We're called, every one of us is called to be an ambassador of Christ, to take our influence for what purpose? To make much of God and to help people see how much God loves them. To reconcile the world to Him. Now, you can't change anybody's hearts. Your leadership stops with, you can't change a heart. I can't go down here to Mark Jones and talk to him. It's not my responsibility or ability to change Mark Jones's heart. But I can have an influence on Mark Jones. I can show Mark what God looks like by how I serve him and how I love him. And I could tell him all about my God through word of mouth and showing him the scriptures. It's God that does the work of regeneration. It's God that does the work of bringing us into a union with him. It's our work to bring people to him. And that's our life purpose, to make much of God and to reconcile the world. So whether you're a car salesman, a doctor, a nurse, a teacher, a student, your ultimate purpose, where you're at currently right now in your spot, is to make much of God and and to let his love shine on other people. We're also given a new message, the gospel, and we're given a new name. I've explained that. So Joshua trusted God and he embraced his mission to finish the journey and to lead Israel into the promised land. What will you do? Will you embrace God to see what God has done in our union with him and lead you and and will you allow him to lead you? Because if you will, if you'll step into that like Joshua did, whether you're young or old or anywhere in between, whether you're extroverted or introverted, If you'll trust God and you'll step into that union that he's promised, you're going to experience God in ways that you never have. Your faith is going to come alive as you watch him show his love to other people. You will no longer be bored. I can promise you that. Walking out our union with Christ, trusting him, realizing we've been chosen, and that he's empowering us with everything that we need to be that leader, you will experience Jesus in ways that you haven't. And it's my prayer for each and every one of us that that's the case. So we're almost at six minutes, and I still got 14 other points. Just kidding. I do have one other point, and it's this. God not only chooses us, but God commissions us. Okay, God commissions us. Let me back up here. Um, In Deuteronomy 31, we see Joshua and Moses and God are all together. And, 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 and God is commissioning Joshua. And he tells Joshua what it is he wants Joshua to do. Joshua, you're going to take and you're going to lead these people into the promised land. And you're going to conquer that and you're going to set up my kingdom there. But God tells Joshua over three times something interesting. Do not be afraid... Be strong and courageous, for I will go with you and I will never leave you. 
So three parts of that commission. Number one, don't be afraid. Number two, be strong and courageous. How can Joshua be strong and courageous? Because God is never going to leave him. God is right there with him at all times. His strength is going to come from the Lord. It's going to be the Lord doing the work. And I find it interesting that for us as Christians, we're given a commission as well. That commission is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. Same command, same commission. And God finishes it this way for you and I. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When God commissioned you, because he's indwelling you as a believer, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, which means you're given wisdom, you're given direction, you're given the Holy Spirit's power, you're given the ability to understand Scripture, you're given the ability to, to influence other people, you're empowered by the love of Christ. It's Christ's love that compels us. We don't have to conjure it up, we don't have to be a leader for God. We're a leader because God's living in us, and because God's living in us, we're leaders. Because it's His Holy Spirit that's doing that work. He's equipped us with His presence. He's equipped us with His power. He's filled us with His wisdom, and He's given us spiritual gifts to serve with. You're going to be hearing more about spiritual gifts in the days to come. And I'm super excited about that, because we need to know what our spiritual gifts are, so as we go out and we influence others, uh, we'll know how God is using us. Well, I need to wrap this up. My prayer for you today, well, before I say that, let me just say that at Grace, we're all about making disciples who make disciples. And we have a discipleship pathway here. We have a leadership pipeline here, all designed to help equip you to be the influence that God's called you to be. My prayer for you today is that you're empowered and you're encouraged. My prayer for you today is that you trust and step out and embrace all that God has called you to. That you stop to embrace the oneness that you have with Him and that you use your influence uh, sacrificially spreading the kingdom of God. That's my wish for you today.